smiling a little bit. We'll get there. We'll get there Sunday morning. My name's Jeff Kerr. My wife, Christine, and I are the pastors here. Um, if you're new, I would love to meet you after the service. And we do have lunch for new people. So come back at noon for no other reason other than you get a free lunch. So that's not bad. Um, we put a cap on it. If you've been here for like 18 months, then you no longer qualify for new people lunch. But we'd love to meet you, let you know a little bit more about the church. It's great to be in church this morning, right? We feel good. Um, I love having our youth worship team, our youth worship leaders lead us in worship today. They did a great job. Um, we love just being a family of God that has grown in our faith together. Heard about an awesome missions trip coming up. Um, Josh, we may need a little more clarification on useful skills. You said if you've got useful skills, because everyone in here is probably like, I got useful skills. Like I can hum and kind of beatbox at the same time, but I don't know if that's what we're looking for. Maybe, maybe. That's not the case at home. The kids don't love it at my house. Um, we are going to be in, uh, we're, we started a teaching series last week, and we, we're calling it Spiritual Battles. If you weren't here, my wife Christy spoke last week, started this series. Great message. You should go back. You can always go back to our app or our website and find us online and listen to previous messages. But we're talking about spiritual battles. Maybe you've been around church enough where you hear the term spiritual warfare or the enemy or the uh, demonic activity. Some of the supernatural things that we believe accompanies our faith. So I want to make a couple of disclaimers. Some of you maybe came to church today and you're like, I just want a couple of songs and a couple of mini donuts and meet some people and then go home. And this is going to be maybe outside of your normal comfort zone. And I understand that. We're glad that you're here. We need to talk about these things, though. I think for some of us, we and, and our church, we've done a great job of being a community at loving and supporting one another at meeting needs in our community. I don't want us to negate this other reality of our faith is that we have a spiritual battle that we are a part of. There is spiritual opposition. So we're going to talk a little bit about that today, spiritual battles. Um, opposition, what is a spiritual battle? And maybe this is a new, a new topic for you or a new thought for you. When we talk about spiritual battle, spiritual warfare, spiritual oppositions, it really is this. An, anything that's an opposition for the work of God in our lives and the work of God around the world. We're a part of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is advancing. There are people getting saved. There are lives being transformed. This is the work of God for the the poor in our nation and around the world to be uh, cared for, to, to go around, be the hands and feet of Jesus, to see people's lives, chains broken in their lives, and to see them turn their hearts over to Jesus Christ. This is the work of God. There is opposition to that. There's opposition to the work of God in our life, to the work of God in our community, to the work of God around the world. And that's what I'm talking about when I say a spiritual battle. There is light and darkness and the forces of darkness are trying to get people away from God and I know this might sound a little Star Wars or Lord of the Rings for you but this is the reality we have um, this is an opposition to the work of God in our life and I'll refer to it this way have you ever had a dream where you needed to run whether you're you know about to score the winning touchdown in your dream which only happens in my dreams and Sometimes I drop the ball and then or you're running away from a zombie or a bad guy or something and for whatever reason you need to run and for whatever reason in your dream you're like I can't hardly move my feet like I know I can run faster than this and anyone ever experienced that you feel as though something is kind of holding you back and you're like why can't I move faster why can't I move forward. I was thinking about that this week that's the way it is in our faith for a lot of people is I want to live for Jesus. 
I want this to be more than just coming to church. I want to read the Bible. I want to hear his voice. I want to hear him speak to me. I want to feel like I'm getting victory over some of these areas in my life. But like running away from a zombie in your dreams, you're like, I just can't quite get moving. I keep getting tripped up. There is a reason for that in our faith. There is a spiritual opposition that we have. So I want us to at least start with this. This is more, there's more to faith than just natural. There's more to come into church than we come into a building, we sing some song. There is a spiritual, supernatural element. We understand this. If you're a person of prayer, you understand this. You are praying to God because you are seeking something bigger than what you can do for yourself. You're seeking a miracle. If you've prayed for someone who is sick, you're praying to God because you believe there's a supernatural element to the strength of God that can work miracles, that can bring healing, that can bring transformation, right? We do that when we're praying to God. We also have to recognize there's more than just the natural as far as a spiritual enemy. There is works that are opposing us. So it's more than just natural. And I think some Christians kind of veer too far to the natural. It's just a church is just a group of people, and I like going for the singing, and it's just I feel good. Um, and so that's, I would say, erring on the side of the natural. Now, I will say some Christians go a little too far, or maybe not even Christians, with the supernatural, right? Everything that happens is an attack of the, of the devil, right? You're running late to work, and you hit rush hour traffic, and it's like, not today, Satan. This is a spiritual attack. You just needed to leave a little bit earlier. That's it. Some of you have relational conflict in your life. In every relationship, it just seems like there's conflict and you're, you're fighting with people and it's just like you just can't get over this and you're, and you're thinking this is a spiritual attack. And I say for some people, it's not a spiritual attack. It's just your personality, right? You might be a difficult person. So we're not talking about seeing a demon around every corner and we're not talking about, oh, it's just, you know, we feel good. And, um, you know, when, you, when someone asks for prayer, you're like, well, I'll just send good thoughts. And, you know, I've always, that's kind of a thing in Facebook now, side note, right? In Facebook, it's like, hey, I'm going through this. So if you're a prayer, say a prayer for me. And if not, just send good thoughts. And I always think, well, that's nice, but I don't know what good thoughts are going to do, right? I'm never hoping, if someone's sick or I'm going through something, I'm like, just think nice things about me. I don't, I don't for a moment believe that that is going to shake the heavens and somehow intervene, right? So we don't want to veer too far to either side, but we got to not be blind about this. There is a spiritual element. One story in the Old Testament, one of my favorite stories, it illustrates this so well. The prophet at the time in the nation of Israel was Elisha, and he was... Uh, this was a time when Israel was facing the uh, enemy of Syria. The Syrian army was trying to attack the Israelite army and conquer Israel. And what the prophet Elisha was doing was he was hearing from God, who was over the nation of Israel, like this was the one true God, and he was speaking to Elisha, saying, it was basically like God, because he's God. He knew the playbook for the Syrian army. So he's like, okay, Elisha, uh, the Syrian army is going to try to trick you, and they're going to come around this way, and they're going to attack from here. So Elisha would tell Israel, okay, well, the Syrian army's coming here, so let's go over here. And this happened a number of times where the Syrian rulers and the king of Syria and the army finally realizes something's going on because Israel keeps knowing what's going to happen before we do it. They know the play before we run the play. Like watching a Vikings game, it seems like how do the defense know what the Vikings are going to do? It seems like they know the play, right? This is what's happening. And so finally, the Syrian army decides, well, rather than 
taking out the army, we first got to take out this prophet, Elisha, because we're not going to get anywhere. So the Syrian army basically takes the whole army to go find the prophet and take him out. So at the time, Elisha is in a town with his servant, and they are there. It's just the two of them, and it says this in 2 Kings chapter 6. Great story. 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 15 through 17. When the servant of the man of God, when Elisha's servant rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And he said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes so that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, The mountains was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. What a cool story. So let me just explain a little bit. Servant gets up in the morning and just kind of goes outside and then sees, uh uh-oh, the enemy army is surrounding us. And it's just me and Elisha, and there's the enemy army, horses and chariots ready to take us out. Now, I think... um, the writers of scripture maybe cleaned up the language a little bit here. It's just my, my uh, opinion. And the servant, when he sees the enemy army outside his tent, he says, alas, my master, what shall we do? I'm guessing that was not the first words out of his mouth. It might have been a little bit different. But he said, alas, uh-oh, we're done for. Here's the enemy army. What shall we do? And Elisha says, don't worry. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And the servant has to think, Elisha's slipping a little bit, because I can count to two. It's me and Elisha, and it doesn't take me very long to count to more than two of the enemy army. But what Elisha is trying to get his servant to recognize is there's more to it than just what you see. There's a supernatural element at work here. The battle going on right now is not just Elisha and servant versus the Syrians. There is a heavenly battle. There is a supernatural element. And so Elisha says, and he prays to God, Open his eyes, the servant that I'm with, open his eyes so that he might see what's really going on. Not just what he sees with his eyes, but what's really going on. So what Elisha doesn't pray is, notice he doesn't pray, God, would you send some angels and chariots of fire around the mountaintops? Could you, could you conjure up something? What Elisha prayed was, Lord, open the eyes of my servant so that he may see what's already happening, what's already there. He just doesn't recognize it. He thinks the battle is against the Syrians and their horses. This is way bigger than that. This is a supernatural battle where the armies and the chariots of fire, and you can hear the theme song from that old movie. For some of us older people, remember the chariots of fire movie? And he sees that there is a heavenly army there. And then the servant recognizes it. Yes, there are more with us than with them. Other scriptures, other scriptures would say greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. There's a supernatural element that causes us to face any enemy, any battle, and say, I don't need to be afraid because this isn't a fight against whatever it is that I see. This is a spiritual thing. And greater is the spirit of God in us than the spirit of the enemy in the world. Amen? Amen. All right, so that is just kind of an illustration of this is more than just the natural. Open his eyes so that he may see. So what I want us to get today is that there is a spiritual reality. It's a real thing, even though we don't see it, even though we can't see it with our own eyes. We know that there is a spiritual force around us. There is a spiritual battle. And the second thing I want us to remember, like the servant learned that day, we don't need to be afraid. 
Whatever the enemy looks like, whatever battle looks like, whatever storm you're walking through, you do not need to be afraid because it's not just you versus that battle. It is a spiritual element. God is with you there. I want you to envision whatever you're facing, the, the chariots of fire, the heavenly armies, the, the presence of God moving supernaturally in these circumstances so that you do not need to be afraid, right? You do not need to be afraid. So I want us to talk about spiritual battles today. And again, this is the work of something, an opposition that we feel to what God wants to do in our life. What God wants to accomplish in our life and around the world, what opposes that would be our spiritual battle. So the things to know, and I'm going to kind of define them in three different categories here. There's three oppositions that we face. So sometimes we might think, oh, it's the devil, it's a demonic attack. It might be a different kind of opposition. I'm going to kind of put it into three different categories, and those categories are the flesh, the world, and the devil. Okay, the flesh, the world, and the devil. These are three things that we battle against in our desire to live a life of faith. Now, we're going to talk more specifics about some of these things in a couple of weeks. Christy and I are going to speak together. I'm talking about some of the specific questions that people have. Is the devil everywhere? No, the devil is not equal to God. The devil is not everywhere. The devil is not all-powerful. The devil is not constantly surrounding you. But there are spiritual forces that are. But the devil is not on par with God. It's not a battle of, oh, I wonder who's going to win today, the devil or God, right? The, the, that match has been decided. God is infinitely more powerful. So that's, I want us to understand that. And I already talked about this. Not everything is a spiritual attack. We're going to talk about some of these things, questions that you might have, like can a Christian be possessed by a demon or by a, a you know, demonic activity? Some of these questions that we have, that we face, that, um, ideas that we've maybe been taught in church, is there evidence in Scripture for this? So we're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. But tonight I want to talk about these three things today, sorry, this morning. The flesh, the world, and the devil. The things that we fight against. The things that we fight against. I want to make one other disclaimer here. When I talk about um, the battle that we are in as Christians... For many of us, we instantly think to a cable news type of battle, right? Like there's these people in our country that are messing it up and we got to fight them. We're battling. We're telling them the truth. There is times where we need to stand up for what we believe is righteous in our culture. But I'm not referring to the battle today to somehow think we need to rule over our country with Christianity, to legislate Christianity, to control our nation politically with Christianity. Every time that has happened in the history of the world, it has not gone well, right? And if it involves, if your idea of a spiritual battle involves you mistreating somebody, then that's not the work of God, right? That's not the work that God lays out for us. So that's what, not what I'm talking about today. But when we talk about this, we battle the flesh, we battle the world, and we battle the devil. So I want to talk about the flesh for a minute. When we battle against the flesh, what I'm referring to is just our sinful nature. The things in us, the appetites in us. There is a reason why when I come to this building, I think about the bakery across the street and donuts, right? That's my flesh. That's an appetite. That is a temptation. I'm not saying it's demonic. We don't believe that about the bakery. I'm saying that's a flesh in me. That's a temptation. Now, that's a silly example. The flesh is anything in our nature that pulls us away from God's righteousness. Any sort of temptation, a desire for what we want 
instead of what God wants. And we are born with this. It doesn't take long for babies who are born when they learn how to talk to say the word mine. This is mine. No, I want this. We are born with this flesh nature that what we want is more important than anything else. In the book of James, chapter 1, verse 13, it defines it like this. Let no one say when tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But here's what I'm saying today. Each person is tempted when he is lured away and enticed by his own desire, his own flesh, those temptations that are in us. Gossip and slander and lust and greed and anger, all temptations from the flesh. Galatians 5.17 says, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. This is one of the spiritual battles we face is just the desires in us that are opposed to the desires of God. And we're going to face this every day. Today, you're going to face a number of choices that's, well, here's what I want, but here's what I know God wants. Here's what I want, and here's how God would want me to serve and love others. Those are opposed to each other. It is a battle that we face. We also battle against the world. And I'll talk about this, like Christians would use this term like, well, it's so worldly. There's just worldly, like, like worldliness, and the scripture even talks about that. But what it means is systems of evil or sin or mistreatment of people in the world, collective patterns of idolatry that are culturally accepted. The desire, you know, we, it's, it doesn't take us long, and certainly if you're a student in middle school or high school, they would recognize this. You can go to school with, here's what I believe God wants for my life, and you're going to be met with all sorts of ways that the world is saying, no, 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 you should be about this, this, and this instead. This is kind of collective patterns of worldly thinking that it goes opposed to what God wants. Does that make sense? This is a pattern of thought in the world that is widely accepted, patterns of idolatry. Again, in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 27, says this, religion that our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself, by, uh, keep oneself from being polluted by the world. What a great definition of faith. Care for those who are in need and just watch out for being polluted. I love the, that he uses the word polluted. Polluted by the world. There are influences in our culture that are going to pull us away from godliness. This is an opposition, a spiritual opposition, an opposition to us growing in our faith and following Jesus. And the third one, we battle against the devil or demonic influences, spiritual enemy. We have a spiritual enemy that is desiring to pull you away to block or oppose your move of God in your life. When we're praying for people, if you have a friend or a family member who is lost, that you want them to come to know Jesus and give their life to the Lord, and you just think, man, it just feels like there's something, like they just can't quite get it. We believe that there is a spiritual opposition, that the, the forces of darkness are trying to do anything to get another person to turn their life over to God. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9 says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Those are the powers of darkness that oppose us. Some are demonic. 
supernatural. Some we just see patterns in the world, and some are just our flesh, our sinful desires, the temptations that we have. That's the enemy. That's who we are battling against. Now, here's the bad news. And you're like, here's the bad news. Here's the bad news. It's not a situation where you, in every situation, you can go and say, well, is this flesh? Is this world? Or is this the devil? Like a game show where it's like three doors. Which one is this? I'm, I'm stuck in traffic today. Is it this, this, or this? It's not segregated like that. It's not isolated like that. All three of our enemies work together. They've teamed up. They work together. It's not just one or the other. It's not just flesh, but it's also a pattern of sin in the world. It's not just flesh, but it's also an area of your life that you have given into temptation where now the enemy, and Christy did such a great job talking about this last week, where the enemy, because you have um, consistently given into a certain temptation, it's like brick by brick, the enemy has kind of built up this pattern of thought or this pattern of sin that it becomes, if you've ever felt like, man, I just feel like this one area of sin in my life is just so easy for me to fall into, because it wasn't just your flesh, it wasn't just in the world, but now it's a stronghold, a spiritual stronghold, and this is what Christy talked about last week. They all can work together. Your desire to sin and the pull of the world can lead to areas of compromise in your life and sin in your life so deeply entrenched that now the devil has a stronghold in your life and you're trying to conquer something in your life, but you just can't get over it. It's like a stronghold of the enemy in your heart, in your life. For example, and I have a couple of examples of this, how it's not just one or the other of our spiritual opposition. We doing okay so far? Okay. All right. Good. If you are struggling with an issue in your life, for example, like sexual purity, pornography, is it the devil that makes you look at pornography? No. Is that something, a desire in your flesh that you give into? Yes, I believe it is. But is it just natural and not spiritual? Definitely not. Your flesh desires it. It leads to temptation. And the world is also involved. This area of sexual purity, pornography, is so widely accepted and even encouraged in our world now where it's just like, oh, this is just normal. This is what people do. Not just teenage boys, but everybody. Teenagers, married couples, it's one of these things. Like in our world, it's just assumed by a lot of people, well, this is just normal. So it's not just the fleshly desire. It's not just the pattern of the world. But is there something spiritual about this? Yes, there is. Certainly indulging in the flesh can lead the devil or your spiritual enemy to have this grip on your life where you feel powerless to change. And all of a sudden, what felt like just giving into a, a, a temptation that you had in your flesh feels like it is now taken over and you feel powerless to change it. And you realize your marriage is affected, your family is affected, other relationships are affected, your faith is affected because you have this area in your life that is a spiritual stronghold. Your spiritual growth is hindered. I have seen this in churches that I've been a part of for years. This area of sexual purity would be the number one thing, in my opinion, that keeps men from getting involved in church because this is an area of their life they just feel like, ah, there's so much shame and guilt and condemnation that's like, ah, I just, I can't, even going to church, like, yeah, I don't want to go to church. Or at 
forget about talking to somebody else about it, joining a men's group and actually getting some accountability. The, the enemy wants to convince you that, A, there's so much shame there because of that sin in your life that God can't even use you. And don't bother telling anybody about it because they'll just reject you, right? This is the lie of the enemy. There is something spiritual that is going on, and the devil is using this area of your life to destroy your faith and your life. That's why we have men's groups for all of these things, for men to come together and just say, hey, I'm struggling with this or this or this, and for guys to get together and say, yeah, we don't need to isolate. We don't need to um, keep this area of sin in our life in the dark because that's where it grows and that's where mold grows and that's where it just kind of takes over. Bring it to the light. Get some accountability. And I believe that just even for the men of our church, this would be a game changer to break that spiritual stronghold. Another example of how each of our oppositions kind of work together, just the, the broader topic of human sexuality. There's definitely a stronghold of the enemy in our world, right? Do we see some confusion in our world, in our young people regarding sexuality? Is this partly due to giving into the flesh and desires that are not in alignment with God? Yes. And certainly the message of our world, our message of our world has gotten way overly sexualized where sex with whomever, however, whenever you want is like personal freedom and it's the ultimate goal. So there's a worldliness to it. And then we also recognize that this has given our spiritual enemy an opening. There's such confusion in our culture with our young people in regards to sexuality, what God has designed sexuality to be. The guardrails are now gone and the world is leading us astray and there's no fulfillment in it because we've all started or the people who are kind of following this pattern of thought are believing a lie and then when they give into it what the world and the devil has promised as being fulfilling they realize it's just emptiness because i veered away from the author of life the one who designed sexuality the one who gave us parameters to enjoy sexuality these are things you know that's an example of all of our oppositions working together does that make sense they're all working together another one anger and hatred in our culture do we see maybe a stronghold of hatred and division in our culture today? Maybe one or two of us would agree to that. Does it seem to be more prominent than maybe it has in the past? Now, is, it, is this the work of our flesh? Is this the work of the world? Or is this the work of the devil? Well, yes to all of those, right? It's all of them. Right? We certainly see that we have sinful, selfish desires, and when they're not met or when somebody opposes what we want, we get angry, we get frustrated. And the world promotes division. We are taught to be divided, to divide into groups. Who's with us? Who's against us? And what we get more and more in our world is we are taught to hate the other side. It, seem, it sure seems like we used to be able to have groups of people that would disagree on something and just have a difference of opinion. Now it sure seems like if you have a group of people that's not with you, you are opposed to me and I must hate you. And whatever cable news network you watch, it's promoting it. Whatever side you think it's on, they're all promoting the same thing. We're going to have an election in about a year and a half, and I'm sure the political ads will start any day now for that election. It's going to be an election about not necessarily ideas or vision or leadership. It's going to be about, well, here's your group, and that's who you're opposed to, and we got to hate them. We can't let them win. That's all it is. And so is this a demonic stronghold in our culture where people hate others and justify all sorts of terrible acts of violence? We want to reduce it down to issues. Is it guns or racial division or LGBTQ rights or abortion rights? Is it any of these issues? 
I believe it's a deeper stronghold where the devil has come in and said, I'm going to get this culture so wrapped up in hate that they are going to be controlled by it and bound by it, and it is going to tear them apart. There is a flesh, there is a world, and there is a spiritual opponent to this. We have a spiritual battle that we are a part of. And finally, depression and anxiety. Again, another one that sure seems like a stronghold, especially for the younger generation. Is this just a medical thing? I mean, there's a medical element to it. Is it spiritual? I believe there's a spiritual element to it. Is it worldly? Is it part, partly due to the world and just what we're doing in our culture to our brains with whatever it is that we think we're you know, numbing ourselves with, whatever it is? Is it all of these things? I think it's all of these things working together. It's more than just natural. It's a spiritual element. One of the things that we feel strongly about as staff, and I believe as a church, we need to kind of stand in the gap for this generation that just seemed to be facing anxiety and depression in a way that was way more magnified than I've ever experienced it before. We need to get engaged in the spiritual battle about this and stand in the gap and under the authority of Jesus say, it's not just about medication or putting your cell phones down. There is the work of the enemy that is trying to hijack a generation of young people. We believe it and we need to stand in the gap and say, no, under the authority of Jesus, we're going to begin to break these strongholds that the enemy has over the lives of our young people. Amen? Okay, so you see how they're kind of all connected. So I'm going to, the rest of this message I'm going to talk about in James chapter 4. It really is a great example of how all of these work together to be an opposition that we have. But also it's a great example of how we can wage war in the spiritual battle. How we can get in the fight. How we can see God's victory in some of these areas, not just in our life, but in our culture as well. So James chapter 4. Verse 1 through 10, I'm going to kind of break it up into a couple of different sections here. James chapter 4, I'm going to start with verse 1 through 4. It says this. I need my old man glasses. It's a spiritual attack. My eyes don't focus on, any, on anything here. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly and spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So we're going to stop there for a minute. You see how it's kind of highlighting both the, the sinful passions, the flesh that we have, but also the pull of worldliness. Don't be a friend of the world. And it talks about this is all rooted in our flesh. This is all rooted in the sinful desires that we have. So when we're looking at a spiritual battle, things that oppose us, if you're wanting to get some traction or victory in your spiritual life, if you want to stop feeling like you just can't quite make any progress in your faith, we start with this. Are you indulging the flesh? Are you indulging those temptations? Is there sin in your life that you have become tolerant of and even accepting of, and do you care? There is an element that we can kind of get numbed to certain areas of compromise in our life, whatever it is, that we just kind of pass off and shirk away, thinking, ah, it's just, it's just part, I'm just not perfect, you know, I got these things, and it's just a little thing, and I'm mostly good, and 
um, you know, boys will be boys and we're wired differently and we just excuse and accept areas of sin in our life. This is what James is talking about. Are you accepting of the flesh? Are you giving in to the patterns of the world? Are you looking at worldliness and saying, yeah, I kind of like that. I'm okay with this part of worldliness. It says friendship with the world is an enemy of God. That word enmity. And when I typed it out in my notes, it kept spell checking it to Emily. So a couple of spots in my notes, it says Emily with God. If your name's Emily, you are not a spiritual attack today, right? This, this is just spell check. If you are dabbling in worldliness, you are pulled away from friendship with God. Friendship with the world makes you an enemy with God. And he says, you adulterous people, that's a strong word. You remember the stories in the gospel where there were women caught in adultery, and what did all the religious people say? We should kill her. She should be stoned because of this unrighteousness. And James is writing to those same people saying, you're adulterous. You are cheating on God. You are being unfaithful to your commitment and your vow to God. God longs for full devotion, and your victory in any spiritual battle is first and foremost, bring your life under complete surrender to God. Do not um, accept or approve of areas of compromise in your life. Now, we're not going to be perfect. We're never going to get it completely perfect. And it goes on to explain this in verse 5 of James chapter 4. Verse 5 says this, or do you suppose it is no purpose that Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Those verses can be a little bit confusing, and I was studying that, reading some commentaries about this. And really what the meaning here is, is God longs for us to choose him over the flesh and over the world. However, James recognizes what we know. That's a lofty goal. We're never going to be perfect with that. We're never going to be able to just completely rid our life of sin or compromise or worldliness. This is a lofty goal for us imperfect people, and we will never completely win this battle. So I love that it says, so he gives more grace. When we fall short, there's grace. But that's different than saying, well, I'm just going to accept sin in my life and then just go to God and ask for forgiveness. That's very different. When the desire is complete surrender, then there is grace from God. But when we're just like, ah, I'm just going to keep living the way I want, it's not that God refuses. What he says is you're too proud to admit that you even need grace. God gives grace to the humble who come to him and surrender to him and say, I have messed up and I need you. But the proud he's opposed to because the proud don't even recognize that they need the grace of God. Does that make sense? This is what it's saying here. He gives more grace when we fall short, and he opposes us when we're too proud to admit it. Going on to verse 7, and I love this. This is how we win this battle. This is how we wage war in the spiritual battle, verse 7 through 10. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. And anytime you see the therefore, you think, well, what's it there for? You look back. Well, submit yourselves, therefore, because of what all I've said, because your passions are at war within you, because you fight against the patterns of worldliness, because God will give you grace if you're humble. Therefore, because of all these things, submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. You see how it's gone from starting out just talking about our passions and our flesh and then talking about worldliness and friend of the world. And now it's gone to the spiritual. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That is a promise of scripture. 
This, we believe that God spoke through James, the author, and put this in there for a reason so that we would be able to read this years and years and years and years later as a promise of Scripture. Resist the devil. Resist the spiritual forces against you, and he will flee. If you feel like there is a hopeless area of your life where you're like, I cannot get over this, the promises of Scripture are there. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. This is how we win the battle. We submit ourselves to God. We resist the devil. And then it's like, then he kind of goes dark, right? Weep and mourn and mourn and wail. And let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. That's not really something you want to put on the church website, right? Like, here's what we're all about. Weeping and mourning and wailing. You're going to invite friends to church. And if they come in and it's just this big wailing and mourning, people are going to be like, I'm out, right? <laughs> That's not what he's talking about. James is not calling us to a defeatist or some weird call to be sad all the time. That's not what he's talking about. What is this in regards to? This is in regards to sin in your life, areas of compromise in your life. Allow the sin in your heart to break your heart. Don't just accept it. Don't just say, oh, it's just part of life. Allow it to break your heart. Allow you to recognize the price that was paid by Jesus on the cross to forgive that sin. The mercy of God is complete. The, the, the forgiveness of the blood of Christ is complete, but that's no reason for us to just accept it and take it for granted. Allow the sin in your life to break your heart. Don't be passive. Don't be accepting of sin. Go to battle against the sin in your life. Submit to God in your life and stop allowing the compromise back in. If there's an area of your life, bring it to God in humble submission and say, God, I need your mercy over this area. And in addition to that, decide, I'm going to stop letting it in. I'm going to get some accountability on my internet, on what I watch online, on what I watch on television, on conversations that I have with other people, on interactions with other people, whatever it is, get some accountability, put up some guardrails because you're saying, I'm taking this seriously. I don't want to just be complacent with sin because I know it's not just a, oh, it's just a little sin. It's an area we're allowing the devil, the enemy, our spiritual enemy into our life. Dads, I'll refer to it like this. If we were to say, dads, we need you to stand at the front door of your house and protect your home. You're the protector of your family. Really, all the dads hopefully would say, yep, I'm in. Anyone who wants to get into this house to hurt my family has got to get through me, right? We understand that. But what about spiritually? What are we letting into our homes, letting into our lives, letting into our families, spiritually speaking? It is no less of an enemy it's an enemy that wants to get into your family and tear it apart. Stop allowing it in. Don't give the devil an opening in your life. This is not a reason to be afraid. We stand in this battle not out of an uncertainty how it's going to go. We stand in this battle with the certainty that greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. That servant with Elisha, there are more with us than there are with them. The reality is that God's heavenly army is surrounding you in any circumstance saying, you can do this, but you got to stop letting the enemy in. Put some guardrails up. Greater is he that's in you with the power of God in your life. Whatever you're facing, the Holy Spirit in your life is greater in you than anything you're going to face. 
Now, we battle against the flesh and we battle against the world, but we are confident that Jesus is victorious. Amen. He has given us the victory over sin. Not that we're not going to ever choose it, but the power of sin, what the Apostle Paul writes, the reign of sin, like R-E-I-G-N, the reign of sin, the control of sin is over. Jesus has given us victory over the reign of sin and the shame of sin. That almost rhymes. That could be tweetable right there. The reign and the shame of sin has been broken. So first, confess and bring your life under the authority of Jesus. Get serious about your sin and turn away and resist and don't allow it to enter. And then you begin to declare the authority of Jesus Christ over this battle, this area of your life, this area that's gotten a grip of your heart, this area of our world, our culture that's so accepted. We just stand in the authority of Jesus and we say, we're going to pray against that. And we're going to pray not in our own strength. When we mention the name of Jesus, Scripture says demonic forces are forced to flee. Philippians says that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, including us, including spirits, including forces in our world and strongholds. The demons flee at the name of Jesus. This is under his authority. This is not under your authority. This is not based on your good behavior. The demons have never fled at the mention of the name of Jeff, right? It's kind of a weird-sounding name anyways. The demons do not shudder at the mention of my name. But under the authority of Jesus, when we bring our life under the authority of Jesus, we have victory. It's what we pray, or what Christy talked about last week, and I'm going to have Betty come up and just begin to pray, and we're going to just end in a moment with um, a moment of prayer. Christy mentioned this verse from 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. The weapons we fight it with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. That day with uh, the servant and Elisha, the servant didn't need to say, okay, well, we better get a sword and a spear because we're going to take these down. The weapons that they were fighting with were the chariots of God's army around the mountaintops, right? This was God's battle. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. This is a great verse just talking about the battle we're in, in our minds, in our culture, in our flesh. We take every thought and make it obedient to Christ. We don't allow sin in. We resist the devil and he will flee from us. We claim the authority of Jesus Christ. I have prayed that verse word for word in several environments when I've been on missions trips, when I've been at youth camps, and there's just a feel like there's a spiritual battle going on. We've been in mission trips where there's demonic activity that we can see with our eyes, and we have seen people freed from demonic possession and activity. And even just practically speaking, we've been on mission trips where it just felt like, man, it just feels like everything is going against us. And eventually, because we're a little slow, it takes us a while, we realize, well, this isn't just here doing a missions trip. We're here proclaiming freedom in Jesus Christ to a generation of young people in Panama, where we go a lot, we've gone a lot of times, telling them about the freedom in Jesus Christ. Do you think there's going to be a spiritual opposition? Of course there is. And so we prayed these verses word for word, that anything that's against the work of God in this place must come down, right? We make it obedient to Christ. Anything that sets itself up against the knowledge of God must come down, not in our power, not in our good behavior, under the authority of Christ. So we just walk in victory. Jesus is the authority. He wins the spiritual battle. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue confess. And the weapons we use, we're going to talk more about this next week, 
The weapons we use are the Word of God, that we know 2 Corinthians 10.5, that we know James chapter 4, that we know 2 Kings. Greater is he in us than he is in the world. The more with us, the more with them, that we resist the devil and he will flee from us, that anything that sets itself up against God must come down. We know these things. This is why we want you to know the Word, so that you have... I know we don't like these terms, weapons and battles, that you have weapons, that you have something that you can use when you are feeling powerless. When we came into church this morning, we started by singing a few songs. And for some of you, it's like, oh, well, the music's there and the youth team's singing and they're, that's cool. And, you know, we'll stand for 15 minutes and then we'll sit down. When we have a corporate time of worship, where together we are proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ. We sang the song, what a beautiful name, what a powerful name it is, the name of Jesus. And we're just standing there. I want us to recognize this is a spiritual moment. This is a moment where you might not be in the environment of the battle that you're going to fight this week, but in the name of Jesus, we can proclaim him, bring our lives into surrender under him, and make the name of Jesus known in this. There is a supernatural element. So when we come into a corporate environment, engage, do something, sing the name of Jesus. And if you're a lousy singer just kind of mumble the name of Jesus or shout it out there is it's more than just singing a song we are proclaiming with our lips and with our hearts that every knee will bow under the name of Jesus what a powerful name it is what are you waiting for get into the fight get into the battle engage there's too much at stake there's too much at stake I feel like um you know you're it's a terrible reference. I should I should have just stopped right there. You're like you're like Maverick, not not new Maverick, old Maverick and you've flown through the jet wash of life and you lost goose and now you've disengaged from the fight and Iceman's in trouble. Maverick, it's time to engage in the battle, right? There is a spiritual element to our faith. We're not just coming to church. We're not just going through we're not just making it through this life. There's a spiritual element. And there's too much at stake. Get in the fight. Get in the battle. Engage. Proclaim the name of Jesus. So I didn't really know how to end this morning. Here's what we're going to do. Let's stand together. And in a moment, we're going to have some prayer teams up at the front. But what I want to do is just even, just right now, even without singing, could we just close our eyes? And could we just receive the word of the Lord today? Could we just say, Jesus, we proclaim your rule. We, we confess areas of of sin and flesh that we've given into and we recognize it's not just bad choices there's a spiritual element there are people in the room here that you're fighting something that's just a grip in your life and i believe that's a spiritual stronghold something that you have allowed the enemy to take root in your life and in the name of jesus we pray against that bring your life under the authority of jesus and say jesus i need your help i turn away from my flesh i turn away from the patterns of the world i rebuke the enemy i proclaim the name of jesus and i'm going to stop letting them in so if that's you just begin to proclaim that just say jesus i need you a battle that you're fighting that is something beyond your control just a pattern of the world a family member in the grips of sickness or depression uh, something that you is heavy on your heart or something in our culture that is just heavy on your heart that just feels like the darkness is just going forward we pray against those things whatever is on your heart just begin to speak the name of jesus jesus you are in authority greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world the very powers of hell itself bow at the name of Jesus. So, Lord, we proclaim your authority. Anything, 
anything in our lives, in our families, in our schools, in our government, anything in our culture, in our neighborhoods, anything that sets itself up against the move of God, we pray against it and we bring it down in the name of Jesus. Move, Jesus. We pray that you would move, that we would walk in victory and power and strength. 